Hola, hola. You're listening to Se Ves Escucha, Seen and Heard, a language justice podcast that honors all the languages we speak and all the ways we speak them. Se Ves Escucha is a project of the Center for Participatory Change. I'm Ada Volkmer. I am here with Leo Esperanza and Aileen Mercado Condori. I am super excited about this conversation. Welcome both of you to Se Ves Escucha. Thanks for, for the invitation. I was, I, I interpreted during the fir very first uh, season of Cerveza Escucha, and I have been dreaming for like a year to be here as a guest, so thank you. It's such an honor to be here. It does feel like a dream because when I first learned about Cerveza Escucha, eh, cuando fue en el, oh, when it was in fall of last year during a, a conference, um, and then I just started listening to all of the episodes And I was like, language justice, this is this is a thing that I've loved that I didn't have a name for. And then we like first had a conversation over Zoom back in March when all the COVID things were kind of picking up. And I remember feeling like a little bit like on the fence because we all viewed Latinidad a little bit differently. Um, but that we were both like after we clicked on the critical pieces of Latinidad. I was like, okay, no, this is a good decision. Uh, and then that's, you, you brought up this, this dream. So I'm glad that it's a reality. Thank you both. So I want to say that I have been dreaming about this episode, like literally for over a year. Um, I, I really am curious about this conversation. Um, and I want to thank both of you for, for being here and for being willing to, to be a part of this convo. This is uh, season three of, of the podcast, and for me, this season, um, I think I want to keep exploring, like, what, what is language justice, right? And I think the podcast explores, like, yes, language justice is about interpreters, translators, um, access, but I think we keep exploring, like, the limits of language justice, and so I think we're going to have a super interesting conversation here today. Um, but first, if you all will please tell us a little bit about yourselves, if you'll tell the Cerveza Escucha listeners a little bit about yourselves. I, as you said, my name is Leo. I am originally from uh, El Salvador. I was born there, and I was, I lived there until I was about 12 years old, and then moved with my family to the Triangle area in, in North Carolina, Durham, more specifically. So I, that was the eighth grade. And I, you know, spoke Spanish and a lot of uh, my communication with teachers and administrators at school was interpreted by, uh, you know, other, other classmates of mine, kids who were my age and were already practicing language justice. In, in, in that setting by helping me get, you know, get acquainted and, and get along in a new place. I lived there for a while in Durham. And then in 2013 or so, I moved to Asheville. I lived in Asheville up until March of 2020. And that's where I met uh, everybody who's insensitly with myself, everybody who I've interpreted with and I've translated with. And, you know, we we've been basically all over the Southeast in conferences and, and, and uh, interpreting for folks. And then I'm currently in New Hampshire, which is uh, an, a new experience. It's, it's like rural 
rural New Hampshire. Um, luck to have internet access and be here with y'all today. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about me. And my name is Ailen Mercado Condori. I was born in what is now called Argentina. Um, I moved to Miami when I was uh, four years old and lived there for a couple years with my family. Um, so my exposure, the way I guess I think about like language, I had four years of exposure, like learning um, one, one type of Spanish spoken within my family. Um, there was also Quechua that was spoken by my grandparents that we weren't taught, um, but I'm reconnecting with now. And in Miami, it was a whole range of types of Spanish um, that I was exposed to as a young kid. And I would like pick up a little bit of like Cuban Spanish. I was told in kindergarten, had a Cuban accent for a bit. Um, and then I moved to to Memphis. I've lived in Memphis for from 2004 to 2020, so about 16 years. And uh, now five months in, in Asheville. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, I, I still remember like the move from Miami to, to Memphis because of, I assumed a lot of people spoke Spanish as like either a first or second language. Um, and that was not the case <laughs> when I moved. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think about language a lot. I think about nations and colonialism and things that in our families that we hide among like mm. generations and, um, I guess things that are being brought, not back to life, but like adding more, more to those flames. Cause those flames have already been there. Um, so it's been been great i'm really happy to be here in north carolina um leo can you tell me a little bit about what the triangle was like like what do you remember about getting to durham uh i got to durham in the summer it is humid it is hot um i remember that very distinctly i come from a very warm place but it's, it wasn't anywhere near as humid um <laughs> i remember walking into school the first day and there was a, a distinct institutional smell <laughs> at, Githens, <laughs> at Githens Middle School. That's That smell is kind of impregnated in my mind <laughs> every time I walk into a big building like that. Um, so I, I've come to describe that as cultural shock. I, I was, mm. you know, That building itself was so different from what I was used to in terms of school. And then, you know, that... <laughs> It just it made a big impression on my twelve year old brain, mm-hmm. um, but but Durham was I don't know very. It, it's interesting that Eileen would say you know you, you kind of because you come from a place like like Miami you're thinking most people probably speak Spanish as either first or second language and you know that you get to Durham and it's you're it's sink or swim if you don't speak and understand English because very few people do. Uh, speak Spanish mm-hmm. from 2002 to about 2010 the the Spanish speaking population as far as I could tell kind of exploded in the area and so you could go to stores and you could hear Spanish being spoken in the uh, in the aisles at Kmart when it existed mm-hmm. you know and so it was it, it changed quite a bit while I was there but I would very distinctly remember being kind of feeling like oh Got got to learn English, or it it, it kind of felt 
isolated. It felt like you were adrift a little. Like <laughs> there's no way you can you can come into this culture and this place and and belong unless you can speak and understand what's being said. And Eileen, do you know why your family chose Memphis? Jobs. <laughs> uh, we were in Miami for a few years, and my uncle was the first to move up to Memphis. And he he loves us. He sees me and my sister as daughters. And so he said, you know, come up. Um, there's work here. There's more work. There's, you know, better schools and stuff. So uh, we made the long move to to Memphis, which I don't think they would have expected because my family, my parents and my uncles like listen to a lot of uh, like blues and rock in Argentina. And so to, I always think about how that was such an influence in their lives um, growing up as adolescents. And the, the songs that they were listening to that referenced Memphis and now they're living in Memphis. That's crazy. How things turn out, no? Um, so many times when you hear people talk about language justice, there's this thing that comes up about um, language justice is people being able to speak the language that they are most comfortable in. And sometimes now I hear people say, Um, not just most comfortable in, but most powerful in. And I've said it, I've written it, I've put it on Instagram, right? Um, I believe it. And at the same time, I am a little bit like conflicted by that statement. Because when I really, really think about it, the language that I am most comfortable in, the way that I am most comfortable speaking is switching back and forth. Es empezando en español, and then I can't find the word, and so then I switch into English, pero then I go into español. That's how I'm really most comfortable. And it's taken me all of these years doing this language justice work to really realize that. And I know that as an interpreter, that's super hard to interpret. If someone is switching back and forth between two languages, it's super hard to for me as an interpreter to interpret for that person. Or if I'm being interpreted, I know that it's very difficult for an interpreter to do that. Um, so I'm just curious to talk with you all, and I thought we could get, get into it, about what are the ways that you feel most comfortable speaking? And how has that changed over time? Uh, I, th I think that for me, I, like I told you guys, that when, when you first you know, sent that group text. I have, I, as an interpreter, I have said those things and I channel <laughs> those exact words, you know, like choose the language in which you feel most comfortable and powerful. And it sounds really pretty, but I had never actually sat to think, what about myself? What is it that I would prefer? And so you post that question and existen mini existential crisis. Thanks. Um, <laughs> to start to think about it and i i think that for me it really depends on the on the context because to say speak the language in which you feel most comfortable i i have a one-year-old her name is ellie and we live Great. yeah her, her grandparents her english-speaking grandparents live here and she's exposed to a lot of english and the deal was that I was going to be the person who spoke Spanish with her and to her and at her so that she gets used to it. And actually about two weeks ago, I got called out. It was, it was like, well, you, you said you were going to speak Spanish with her and you're only speaking English. 
because everybody spoke English or speaks English with her. So it made me feel most comfortable to speak mm. English back to her. But over the last two weeks, I have been making it a point and, you know, whether there's other people around who speak only English or not, I speak Spanish at her. And she's actually saying agua when she wants water. She mm -hmm. doesn't know what water means, but she knows what agua is, which is, you know, just makes my heart swell with pride. But yeah, so, so context really matters in terms of feeling comfortable, in terms of feeling more powerful, the most powerful, it... it that, I'm still wrestling with that. I, I don't know, and I, I haven't gotten there yet, but um, I think that thanks to your questions, I'm going to continue to ponder that. <laughs> we can ponder it. We can ponder it together. <laughs> Eileen? Um, something, Leo, that you said, uh, the word that like struck out to me was responsibility, that that was something you know that you agreed to and you know are reminded to speak um, to your daughter in Spanish to kind of like preserve that language and preserve that communication. Um, and it made me think about how I've like created on myself, like some kind of responsibility that no one has placed on me, but I have taken it upon myself to like learn Quechua and to go through that struggle of not grasping it and trying to search, you know, which particular regional Quechua am I learning from? And am I picking from a little bit of Peruvian, which has so many var varieties within its own mm. region and also like Bolivian um, Quechua. There's, you know, distinctions in the North and like the South, um, um, but trying to find some kind of like resource so that I'm able to, you know, understand when my, my grandfather speaks to me and be able to talk back to him. Um, Quechua is not a language that I'm comfortable in speaking in any way because I, I feel like I'm not doing it justice. Um, I'm personally, when I'm thinking and speaking, I've, I've acquired more language and terms to be able to communicate what I'm feeling in English. And that's very much an unsettling feeling because I feel like for many years, the, I haven't acquired like mm -hmm. a huge Spanish language vocabulary to be able to express myself, even though I would love to do that, to talk to, to express all these feelings, emotions, and like theories in Spanish, and I can't. Um, and that's when I'm talking to somebody that grew up, you know, in a Spanish language setting, and they're like, you don't know what this multiple, multiple mm -hmm. syllable word is. I'm like, no, I was four, like, I'm still mm -hmm. learning. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, I'm unsettled by being comfortable and speaking in English. And I'm also unsettled by speaking in Spanish, because I know that, you know, the my mom wasn't taught that her Quechua language from her grandfather and he died when she was you know very very young um and so her sister's father who's um you know still living with us in Argentina I'm able to, to still communicate with him um but we're you know trying to reconnect and trying to like live with what is what does it mean that we are so comfortable in Spanish when that that was kind of like forced on us to to make other people comfortable, right? All these, mm. all these other people that mm -hmm. didn't want to accept our family because, you know, we have indigenous roots and we are part of this like larger, like forced migration of people. Yeah. So, so can we talk a little bit about that um, changing to make other people comfortable? And I'm curious about like being from El Salvador, being from Argentina, like, 
how has that um, played itself out in your Spanish, in your like Salvadoran Spanish, in your Argentine Spanish? The, the most distinct thing that sticks out in my mind was when I first got to, to Durham and how most of the kids in school were who spoke Spanish were from Mexico, are from Mexico. Uh, and what I noticed was that a lot of Central American kids, Honduran, Salvadorian, Guatemalan, were ad- adapting, adapt, adapting to that environment. They, they used way a lot. Uh, instead of vos, they were using tu. A uh, funny thing about way is I, I thought it was just like dude. I thought he meant that. I didn't know that it had some bad connotations. And so we had Miss Sanchez was uh, our our advisor and she she you know had Mexican roots but had been had grown up here so she kind of spoke Spanish and and she tried she really tried to help with with the language barrier. So I I went to the office one time to get one of my friends, my newly made friends and I said, "Hey way, vámonos." And I got yelled at. You know, and, and so that that was maybe a couple of months into <laughs> into going mm. to school here, and I, I had been making a very distinct conscious decision to to assimilate and to adopt a lot of what the, the language that I heard, and then <laughs> I got yelled at, and it was kind of like, whoa, what what are you doing? What are you using words that you don't really fully grasp or understand to fit in? And mm-hmm. so from that point on, that is a very distinct watershed moment as far as I can remember. I've made it a point to to preserve my voice, to not pronounce the S's as much. <laughs> and uh, growing up, going to high school, I had a lot of friends from El Salvador, and I do still. And we we speak the way that we used to speak back home. Uh, although... I've I've spoken to some of my friends who are mm-hmm. still in El Salvador, in the, in the in the place in the town where I'm from, and we speak differently. What I remember as Salvadorian uh, Spanish is not really what they speak, <laughs> so I'm imitating. But in my mind, right. I'm still right. Yeah, yeah, like '90s, uh, '90s, you know, uh-huh. preteen uh-huh. Salvadorian uh-huh. Spanish, whatever the hell that is. But. You know, but before before I reconnected with them, you I I felt pride in, in saying, well, I didn't change my the way that I speak. I didn't change my accent. I didn't change my vernacular. I'm I'm pretty, you know, authentic to the core. And and I made it a very conscious decision to not change to do to not clean up my essence. You know, that to to, mm-hmm. to stay with what I perceive to be my mm-hmm. original. My, the original way to, that I spoke. But that's interesting because it changed, right? Like, me dejó a mí. It, it yeah, just it it left without it, me. It and going. like, yeah. you know, uh, here I am uh-huh. thinking I'm so hip and cool and people are looking at me like, what? <laughs> nice try, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aileen, I can see you laughing and laughing. So, cuéntanos. <laughs> me, me río, I laugh because <laughs> I have recently... Um, been reconnecting with some of my cousins from both sides of the family um and they'll say words that I have no idea (laughs) what they mean because I only grew up with the like Argentine Spanish and vocabulary that I was exposed to by my parents 
So they'll say something. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'll go on to Google and be like, Argentine playing youth. <laughs> how, how did you spell that word again? <laughs> I, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I... I remember, yeah, I remember seeing my parents too when you know we were very involved in the Latinx communities and in, in in Memphis because we came from such a like a diverse Latin American setting in Florida and then Memphis, like you mentioned that right that between early two thousand two thousand ten within a decade it just so we were like the population grew like there was more visibility hopefully government agencies were you know, paying attention to this and adjusting educational systems and communication. Um, and so, you know, we, whatever we, I think my mom like looked up Latinos Memphis and found the first organ, like nonprofit organization that like was listed and just drove there and like went and said, I want to get involved. I can, you know, talk to people and just did it all. Um, and then that, you know, they, at that time it was majority uh, Mexican immigrants that were living in, in Memphis. Um, over time that that demographic has changed significantly um and and so yeah i i would see her you know like she's not saying or like not saying we we learned you know that one of my favorite examples is um we went to a mexican restaurant to get because they said they have torta and we're like oh my god they have torta that's oh, i want dessert right now <laughs> and they're, they like pointed to us and they like bring it and it's like a sandwich and i was like that's not a, a torta is sweet a torta has you know, um, and then that's when we learned that pastel is cake, torta in Argentina is cake, and bizcochuelo, I don't know if it exists, <laughs> uh, but we were calling things completely different. There was words that we were saying that were bad words mm. in, even by like a letter off in like some Mexican Spanish. Um, so we had to adjust very quickly. And when we were speaking in public or like among a group of other um Latinx people, we we will we'll change it a little bit more to for it to not stick out because then people mm-hmm. focus on the accent mm-hmm. and our words and not the content of what we're saying. Um, so it, it, I guess the the way that we adjusted for other people's comfortability depended on the audience. So if it was a majority Mexican Latinx community, we would adjust in that way. Um, for me, if, you know, if I was the if the audience was you know non Spanish speaking, they really didn't know the difference. If the if the audience was white South American people that understood the regional differences and accents of South America, I would pull like Argentine Spanish like real real hard. I remember trying to like listen to Argentine music and to movies and to music to try to get the accent more because mm. the way that they didn't they didn't I didn't fit in with their version of what an Argentine person looks like because my skin wasn't I wasn't like European descended. Um, which is, you know, the popular or the dominant um, mm. ways that people view Argentina. And so for some audience, I would like fill it down. For other audiences, I would like really just punch into it really hard. That that goes right back to the to the question about comfort and power, feeling powerful, right? Mm. Be- because you, you kind of just you, you adjust to the situation and you will, you probably would be more powerful speaking a type of language or, or a, a, taking on an accent that's not necessarily the one that makes you feel most comfortable so you kind of have to to give and take a little bit uh 
it makes me think about as an interpreter when we when we ask bilingual folks in panels or participants to say mm-hmm. we ask that you help us decenter the dominant language which in this case is English by speaking Spanish but also speak the language that makes you feel more more comfortable and powerful right <laughs> right and so yeah. we might we might be sending mixed signals there it's, it's just making me think about that a little bit definitely Definitely. You're like, please, like, help us decenter English. Please speak on the panel in Spanish. Like, andale. Pero then you realize, like, I've been living here for, you know, 15, 20 years. Like, mm-hmm. this this comes out in English. And, I, and I've had that same moment, uh, like like you said, Aileen, like, I feel more comfortable in English, you know? I, I went to university in English. I live with an English-speaking partner. I've lived in the United States for 20 years. Like, English is the language that I'm like, me siento... You know, like, I got this. And Spanish, there's a little, there's always a little question in the back. There's always a, like, I don't think I said that right. There's always, like, una duda that lives in the back of my mind. And I think just coming to the realization of it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to out Mexican like a Mexican, you know, like a Mexican who has lived in Mexico their whole entire life. I'm not going to out Mexican that Mexican. Like, no. Um, And I I actually want to say something about... um, Uh, He's been on the podcast before, Juan Sanchez Martinez, who is our Spanish professor in the Serpent's Tongue classes. Um, I'm I'm working now for a nonprofit that's in Colombia, and we're doing online trainings. And I know, I was really nervous, not about the online training, but about mi español. And I was like, these Colombians can hear Spanish, can hear, perdón, these Colombians can hear English in my Spanish. And Juan Sanchez Martinez wrote to me and he said, do you think a Colombian, you can't hear Colombian in a Colombian Spanish? Do you think you can't hear Argentine in an Argentine you know, Spanish speaker? Of course you can hear English in your Spanish because you live in the United States. And that's just what it is. And I think so much of it is just like, yeah, that's what it is. Like there's millions of us here speaking both of these languages and obviously it's going to adapt and it's going to grow. And it's going to change and we're going to make it make it our own. Um, so I have a, a question for you all to start closing up. Um, Leo, what would uh, Leo now say to 13-year-old Leo? Uh, dude, you live your life 98% in English, which at, at the time when I was struggling to understand what my teachers were saying and to communicate like why did I not get an A <laughs> uh was seemed unfathomable it seemed so far off um and one of one of my the biggest warnings from my dad was you, hmm. you when I came here he he said you speak spanish don't lose it i don't want to i don't want you coming to me and asking me what does this word mean in spanish so I would also say to 13-year-old me, you, you did a pretty okay job with that. It's not, it's it's not like, you know, like Eileen was saying, there there are times where just there's there are words I just have no idea about. But um it, it's it's kind of a task to be able to learn a new language and adapt to it and and use it in everyday life and hold on to another one that might not be as might not be used as often. So, yeah, it <laughs> you'll, you'll change. The way you communicate will change, uh, but it's it's all good in the end. 
I'm the same, Eileen. What would Eileen right now say to eight-year-old Eileen? I think I would tell myself, my eight-year-old self, to not allow other people's idea of, you know, my these different aspects of my identity to, like, influence how I see myself. I don't know how much eight-year-old me would grasp mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. you know, current-day me trying to deconstruct these notions of national identity and like language but I think for a long time that colonialism really was a huge burden on me and how I wanted to communicate because I always overthought like I I I, you know kept myself from speaking because I was like how do these I want to say something but how how do I say it so they they can like understand it and in some situations you know that makes sense for like accessibility and some other situations when there's you know a bigger context of like power dynamics I should just speak however I want to speak um but yeah I would tell myself to chill (laughs) maybe (laughs) you know I I I also wish that I read more in Spanish I think that that would have helped my vocabulary um but doing it for myself and not because someone said that I don't know enough Spanish Mm -hmm. yeah there's still time too there's still time And I want to shout uh, Luis from uh, Nos Vemos and the Swap Meet podcast, who always asks this question about talking to our our younger selves. Pues compas, I want to thank you both for being here, for for really like sharing. I I feel, um, I don't know, I feel like a lot of honesty and like you all went like deep. (laughs) So so I really appreciate that and for you all bringing, bringing this to the podcast. So... Muchísimas gracias. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited for these conversations to continue to to grow. Thank you so much to our guests, Leo and Eileen. I'm Ada Volkmer of the Center for Participatory Change. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Rate, like, follow. If you haven't done so, leave a review. Tell a friend, your comadre, your family members. Follow Cerveza Escucha on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, we're at SVSE Podcast. You can email us at svsepodcast at gmail.com. We love, love, love to hear from you all. This episode edited by Somos de Mente. Music by Combo Chimbita. Chimbita.